hello and uh, welcome to another episode of the Islamic Dilemma. I am your host, Al Fadi, and I am excited uh, to uh, share with you that today's topic is going to be yet another interesting and sensitive topic that uh, we hear about in the news, especially uh, lately. The topic has to do with what is called the Islamic Sharia law. And unfortunately, many times uh, uh, people, especially if you do not read Arabic, uh, you get mixed information and uh, mixed emotions about what does Sharia law mean and how does it apply to uh, an Islamic community and how does it apply to others who are outside the Islamic community. Uh, many people sometimes ask me if I should be uh, afraid or worried about Sharia law or if we should just tolerate Sharia law and allow it uh, among at least the Islamic communities that are outside of an Islamic state. With these questions and many others, uh, myself and our special guest, Bill Warner, who is joining me today, we are going to discuss all matters related to at least the basic principles of Sharia law. We realize this is going to be a very detailed topic. However, our intention is to build the foundation for it. And if time doesn't permit us today to finish all of our thoughts, uh, we will do a follow-up show. However, uh, all of uh, what I'm doing here is to try to build a foundation for future shows that would deal specifically with uh, uh, single elements from what we call the Islamic Sharia law. Uh, Bill, uh, welcome again. Delighted to be here. This subject we're going to discuss, Sharia, is of enormous importance to all of our viewers. And uh, before we start uh, with, with that, uh, I would like at least to uh, introduce the topic Sharia law to our viewers. What is Sharia law? Sharia law is many things, including the answer to the question, when I first started reading about Islam, people and I would tell them some things that I was reading, people would say, oh, they don't really believe that. One of the beauties of Sharia law is you can see a practical application of what is in the Quran and what is in the Hadith or the traditions of Muhammad. This is practicality. This is real world Islam. So basically, uh, um, you know, to summarize what you ju just said, is basically Sharia law is a code of conduct. Yes. And this code of conduct, uh, if I heard you correctly, is based on some religious resources in this case, in the case of Islam, it is based on the Quran, yes. which we have mentioned previously. It is the revelation of the God of Islam, and it's considered by Muslims to be uh, the word of God verbatim. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like Muhammad wrote down something that he heard in his own ways and in his own word. Actually, it's believed that that's what God himself spoke, and Muhammad just reported it. And again, we're quoting Islamic belief here. Exactly. Um, and then you mentioned a second source, and that's the hadith, or I want to even uh, use a broader terminology, the sunnah, sunnah. which is, uh, encompasses basically the biography of Muhammad, his lifestyle, and his sayings, the hadith. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, uh, if uh, you don't mind, I'm going to show at least a couple of uh, slides that you have developed, right. and uh, will help at least people see what we're talking about. Uh, the first slide that we're showing right now, Bill, came from a book... Mm -hmm. called the, the Reliance of the Travelers. Exactly. And, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about this book? Well, first I thought since most people have not ever opened a Sharia text that we ought to just show them 
at least what happens when you open it inside. What the, uh, this is the reliance of the traveler. And this is a Sharia text that can be bought on Amazon. And if you open it up, you'll look inside and see this. What's important about these two slides is we see on here the emphasis of what the authority of Sharia is. It's based on the Quran, what Allah says, and then it's based on Muhammad. So those are, that is the foundation of Islam. In fact, the next slide uh, that I'm going to show uh, has a triangular shape mm -hmm. to it that will help our viewers even see what you're talking about. And, and if you can uh, help our viewers understand what you meant by this triangle. I used a triangle because, in a sense, Sharia is, is like the... Uh, look at this triangle as being an iceberg. And the Sharia is what you see above the surface. This is the practical application of Islam. But it's supported by, underneath, a deep doctrine found in the Quran and found in the Hadith or the Sunnah of Muhammad. So, in other words, let's say you're talking about an iceberg and you're going to see the tip of that yes. iceberg. If people are living within an Islamic community, mm -hmm. they're seeing the tip, uh, they're living under, uh, you know, a law that right. is drawing its sources from what is beneath. Deep and down that's below. basically the Quran and the Hadith. So, if you're living, and as a former Muslim, uh, I can tell you Saudi Arabia is one of the countries that implemented Sharia law. For mm -hmm. instance, in Saudi Arabia, uh, people who do not believe in Islam are not allowed to share their faith with Muslims. Now, that's what we see. But where is the uh, belief stemming from? That's coming from the core value that is down below, mm -hmm. and that's the Quran and the Hadith. Now, um, I want to add to what uh, my guest Bill mentioned. Not only Sharia law is built upon these two main foundations, that's the Quran and the Hadith. And by the way, I always emphasize the Quran is number one source. Because the Quran is what leads you to follow the Prophet. So you mm -hmm. can say the Quran is the number one source, and then everything else is drawn from that. The Quran, the life of the Prophet. But what if you do not find a specific topic in both of these sources? That's where we go to what is called secondary sources, right. Bill. And secondary sources, as you might be aware of that, one of with, uh, which is called the ijma in Arabic, which is the consensus. That's when you have a group of Islamic scholars, you know, uh, basically uh, judges or those who are familiar with the uh, Islamic jurisprudence and the uh, Islamic law. And they would agree on a particular, um, uh, what we call fatwa, or a decree or an opinion related to a specific topic. I'm going to use an example. I always like to use, uh, give people illustrations here. Um, Islam, the Quran and the Hadith specifically talks about the law against uh, people getting drunk, mm -hmm. drinking alcohol. Yet you will never find anything both in the Quran or in the Hadith and the life of the Prophet that has to do with drugs or drug dealings, mm -hmm. cocaine and other things like this. So, does that mean it's, uh, it's not prohibited under the Islamic Sharia law? Absolutely not. It's still right. prohibited. But, so what is the judgment then against someone who is caught uh, dealing with drugs. Now we know, and we're going to show some examples uh, later, that if someone is caught uh, drunk, there is public lashing yes. and maybe even imprisonment. But what about someone who is caught, let's say, dealing with drugs, selling drugs to uh, youngsters, you know, minors, uh, maybe even uh, to just people in general? Well, uh, uh, most Muslim scholars have agreed, and that's what the consensus is all right. about. 
that the results of drug dealing is almost equivalent to someone who's causing mischief in the land, is causing chaos in the land, who's destroying the culture, destroying the community. The Quran says if someone is causing mischief in the land, there is a number of punishments, one of which could be crucified, basically, and yes. has their uh, uh, arms and legs cut uh, uh, in a cross way, or they could be beheaded or killed, basically. So the decision was drug dealers also must be killed as a result of this. So that's an example of what we call consensus. Another thing, another secondary source, is called the uh, analogy. Mm -hmm. And it's almost similar to what we just mentioned here because they use a known law, a law of retaliation, for instance, and they will try to draw something, uh, you know, uh, analogous to it and say, okay, because this law says this, then the punishment for the other crime that is not mentioned in the Quran or Hadith uh, uh, in an analogous way, parallel to it, will be this. The consensus and the analogy allows the Sharia to deal with modern events because it was 1,400 years ago. And so computers, for instance, Sharia can reach conclusions about computers, and I don't know what they are, but they would use analogy and consensus for what a new problem is. Which really, uh, in, in, in my mind, as a former Muslim, brings up something really interesting. Now, we are taught that the Quran is inspired by God and it's divine and God's word. And, and, and in other words, that's his thought. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then uh, Muhammad basically was a messenger who delivered this message. And then some will tell you even his lifestyle is also inspired. And that, that's why you're commanded to follow it. The Quran actually leads you to believe that you will earn good deeds by right. following the footstep of the prophet. Now, what about this consensus, for instance, and the analogy? Are they divinely inspired? Well, now we get, but it's important to notice here that the argument for Sharia law by Muslims is, is that Sharia is sacred law, divine law, whereas the United States Constitution, for instance, is man-made law. So why do we have different opinions in different countries? Uh, before we go there, uh, what is fatwa? Let's define fatwa, ah. for instance, to our uh, viewers, well, because the opinions that are issued called fatwa or decrees. Most people who are not Muslims, I think, associate a fatwa with a death sentence because of like the Ayatollah Khomeini's fatwa against Salman Rushdie. So a lot of people think that fatwa just means a death sentence, but it's not at all. It's simply a judgment. It could be on the most minor matter. And, you know, uh, Bill, I'm going to, um, I have a, a sample with me here. I'm going to read a fatwa, and I want my viewers to listen to it. This is a fatwa that was uh, basically asked of a mufti, and the mufti is someone who issues a, fa a fatwa. And, by the way, we will post uh, those on our website in a future date. Uh, for instance, uh, this woman was asking this mufti who issues the fatwa, and she, she said, uh, I was a non-Muslim. I am married to a non-Muslim husband and I decided that I wanted to follow Islam I heard that now that I am a Muslim I must leave my husband my husband who is a non-Muslim is refusing basically to divorce me what do I do because someone who is a Muslim in the mosque has proposed to me already to marry me mm -hmm. well what do you think the answer would be in this case she's still married her husband refuses to divorce her now what would be the logical uh, legal course that should be taken in an instance like this well, according to my understanding, if she's now a Muslim and her husband is not, he is over her, and a Muslim is to never be under any non-believer. 
So this was indicate it's time for her to get a divorce, to marry right. a, be a Muslim believer. So how can she obtain this divorce, for instance, if we think in a civic way? Well, it would depend on the country she's in. Of Correct. Course. But if it's Saudi, my guess is she would get the divorce easily. Right. Let's say she's living in the United States. Uh, I, I don't know what a judge would do if you came to him and said, maybe she could put it under irreconcilable differences. I don't know. Well, you'll what be surprised the that the answer of the uh, Grand Mufti is this. You're automatically divorced, whether oh, your husband agrees or not. <laughs> You're free to go and marry the other man and let your non-Muslim husband worry about divorce himself whenever he's ready for it. So in other words, you can go and marry another man who is a Muslim now, mm -hmm. even if your other husband who's non-Muslim haven't divorced you yet. Now, if I want to use analogy, isn't that polygamy? In this it would, case, it the woman is married to two men. But what the Mufti is saying is, is that the Sharia is over all other law. In fact, we are going to watch some slides uh, uh, after our uh, break that will support exactly what you just mentioned. Well, uh, to summarize again, what we have talked about so far is Sharia law, which is, according to Islamic teachings, is... Uh, uh, defined as a code of conduct. The only difference is this. This code of conduct, according to the teaching of Islam, supersedes or other yes. codes of conduct that exist. So if a Muslim is living in a community, and this community happened to be abroad, outside of an Islamic state, let's say, a, like myself, a former Muslim from Saudi, I lived in the West now, I can go and request that I want to apply Sharia law to my life because I disagree with the law of the land, basically. Mm -hmm. The law of the land permits people to drink alcohol, but that's offensive to me. Therefore, I'm going to go and try to lobby to get that law, my law, basically enforced among my community because I don't want people to be drinking alcohol. Uh, and uh, the Sharia law, as we mentioned, drives this from two major sources, one is called the Quran, which is the divine word or the inspired word of the God of Islam, and the second source is the life of the Prophet of Islam, his sayings, his traditions, and he is basically the model. That's the primary source. Secondary source, as we mentioned, is called the consensus. That's where a group of Islamic scholars would consent on a decision related to a matter in relationship to Allah. And the second one will be what we call the analogy. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, it's uh, uh, approaching our uh, halftime break right now. And uh, when we come back, we will continue with this exciting discussion about Sharia law. Pressure slowly building. An explosion that shocked the world. A coastline forever changed the oil impossible to remove. Nothing could destroy it until the source was found, until that source was sealed. To uncover the source of Islamic terror, read the Quran Dilemma, Islam Unplugged. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome back. Uh, we are uh, continuing our discussion, myself and my guest, Bill Warner, about uh, the Islamic Sharia law and its implication basically on others who do not ascribe to it. 
uh, in the first half of our show, we uh, gave some basic definitions and also some basic understandings of uh, the main sources for Sharia law. Uh, Bill, continuing along uh, the line of Sharia law, I would like to mention to our viewers also that according to Sharia law, the human behavior is basically divided into a number of categories. And I have in my hand here uh, uh, some of those definitions. Uh, one of uh, those classifications says that there is actions that are considered to be a fard in Arabic or in English obligatory, meaning mm -hmm. that you have to do them. I'm going to give an example for that. A Muslim person must confess the shahada, Mm -hmm. which is the admission or the, uh, the, uh, the creed that there is only one God and that, that his prophet, his final prophet, is Muhammad. Without this, a person cannot be called Muslim. Right. Now, once they are declared to be a Muslim uh, person, follower of the uh, religion of Islam, they must pray, at minimum, must pray five times a day. Five times. Violation of that can cause them trouble. Uh, you know, some believe earthly trouble, uh, you know, superstition, things can happen to them, but definitely a heavenly judgment against them. Uh, then there is also the, what is called the fasting. A Muslim person must fast at least one month during the year. That's called the month of Ramadan. Whether it falls in the heat of the summer right. or uh, in the freezing time, uh, a Muslim person still must fast. And then you have what is called the zakah, or if I'm going to use an English terminology, uh, close to it is tithing. And that's meaning charity. that you have to do charity work. What's interesting about that, by the way, is under Islamic law, you cannot do charity work for people outside of the Islamic community. Correct. Even if you do it, you know in your mind that God is not going to credit you for it. No credit. I mean, sometimes for political uh, correctness, they, it's done. But uh, uh, under Islamic law, a Muslim must only give to orphans and others who are in need that are Muslim also. And then we have also the performance of what is called the pilgrimage, which is required in the lifetime of a Muslim once in their lifetime. And only that uh, pillar, to my uh, knowledge and my understanding and my belief as a former Muslim and, and my research, that that's the only pillar that the God of Islam apparently may forgive you if you did not have basically uh, uh, enough money to enough travel. Money or your health didn't allow you to travel, or you have other reasons that prevented you. Let's say you live in, in a country that the government is anti-Islamic and they do not want you to go and perform the pilgrimage. That's the only way. Now, is Sharia law also classified in a way that can uh, have subcategories to it? Well, of course, but we need to point out that what you just said is is how to do all of the rituals of the five pillars, exactly how they're to be carried out, is contained in an Islamic text. And I think that for most people who think about Western law, when you open up a classical Sharia text, the first thing you run into are, is how to pray, for instance. It, you, it would be odd to think that our Constitution started off with how to pray and do all these five pillars of Islam that are found there. So that's, I think that at least when I opened up the text, it was like, whoa, this is just a book on religion. Right. Then, but you keep turning, and then you come to new subjects, like okay, so business law. Can you summarize some of these categories for us, for instance? Well, we have, after you get through with religion, you get to business law, okay. how contracts are done, what is permissible, interest rates, and these kinds of things. And then you also get to a morals and manners section. Uh, 
And then there's a very interesting section to me as a scientist. It's called belief. And what is, from my standpoint, the most amazing thing in there is that basically under belief we have apostasy, which is, I believe, the greatest sin in the Sharia text. And, but what you look at apostasy really is critical thought is forbidden. So that's, that's another category. In other words, you cannot really compare uh, Islam to another religion and say, well, you know what, I, I, I don't like Islam anymore. I feel like I want to follow uh, this religion. Now, in my case, I am an apostate, by the way, simply because I decided that Christ is the way, that he is uh, uh, the only way for my salvation. After I had done enough analyses and comparisons between uh, Islam and other ways, and I discovered that Christ is the one that I want to follow. Under Sharia law, the punishment for me, basically, is death. death. You're, you are a criminal on the basis of Sharia law. You are actually a criminal when you even ask the first doubting question. True. And that is because it, it gives all these questions. You're not to ask this. And you're not to ask difficult questions. And, and so that part is, as a scientist, I look at that and go, you've just outlawed critical thought. I find that difficult. Right. Is there any, uh, any other categories? <laughs> well, then, then there's a category which is a eye popper. I mean, it's some of the punishments. Okay. Uh, uh, cutting off hands, cutting off heads, and then there's stoning. Uh, Sharia even has, for the process of stoning, which everybody's heard about, there are rules on how big the rocks are to be. I mean, this is a technical manual. They're not, they can't be too small. They can't be too big. That's amazing to open up a Sharia text and find out it's dictating the size of the rocks you're going to throw, and there's going to be a public spectacle. And Bill, I want to add to what you just mentioned. Uh, people might think that stoning today in the 21st century uh, is uh, something of, a, uh, uh, of an unheard of action or maybe no. bohemic or uncivilized. Let me assure you that stoning still takes place till this day in countries like Saudi Arabia, countries like Afghanistan, like Pakistan. And in fact, you can even go to websites like YouTube and maybe even watch uh, some of mm. it being done. So uh, these kind of actions uh, are not like actions of the past uh, because uh, sometimes, you know, uh, Muslims will argue with you and say, no, 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 uh, you know, uh, things like this, yes, were implemented by Islam, but they don't apply to our society today. That's a wrong understanding of Islam, first off. In a strange sense, there is no time in Islam. Everything in Sharia is not just good for times past and present, but all the way in, into the future. It is permanent. There is an eternal nature here. There's not adaptation because everything has to keep going back to the same Hadith, the same Quran. It's permanent. I would like to show uh, our audience maybe few slides uh, that has commands that came directly from the Quran or maybe the Hadith mm -hmm. and uh, related to specific topics. And uh, we're going to show them a sample of where Sharia law draw basically its teachings. Uh, the first slide here has to do with adultery. Now, we're not, by the way, promoting adultery. We're not <laughs> no. condoning adultery. We right. understand that it's a wrong behavior and we do believe that anyone who would commit something like this can do something devastating to his marriage or her marriage right. and that's basically a ground for breaking up families. 
But we're talking about the punishment for that. Now, I recall a story, for instance, in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 8, an adulterous woman was brought to Christ. Yes. And he was being tested, basically. Is she supposedly going to be stoned right. or not? But uh, Jesus basically forgave her sins, but told her not to go back to doing it again. Well, the point I'm trying to say here is sometimes people need to be given a chance. Sometimes there is treatment. Sometimes there is at least uh, a, a, a way to try to resolve issues. Uh, under uh, Islamic law, this is not allowed. Right. For instance, uh, this Quranic verse came from chapter 24, verse 2. It says, The woman and the man guilty of adultery or fornication flog each of them with a hundred stripes. Let not compassion move you in their case in a matter prescribed by God, if you believe in God and the last day, and let a party of the believers witness the punishment, the public spectacle exactly. that you just talked about. Notice the condition that doing this punishment for them is a proof that those who are doing it are followers of God, yes. meaning they believe in God. Now, let me mention to my viewers this. This is in the case if a single woman and a single man were caught. But if they were married, stoning becomes basically the yes. punishment. Of course, I wish I can show you, the, show you the stoning verse, but it's not there anymore, simply because it wasn't even adapted into the Quran because Omar right. could not bring witnesses to do so. Now, I'm going to show my viewers another example. Now, this is coming from the Hadith. Mm -hmm. This is Muhammad himself is saying this, and it could be found in a number of sources. Uh, I wrote them down. Uh, one is called Al-Bukhari, and we said Al-Bukhari is maybe the number one authoritative collector of Muhammad's sayings, another one called Abu Dawood, another one called Tirmidhi and Nisa'i. These are like big, big names when it comes to the collection of authoritative. hadith. And Muslim also is another guy. Uh, this, this is what Muhammad says. In fact, this hadith deals with a number of sins, but he summarized them into three. Right now, I'm going to show just the first one, which is fornication. It says this, It is not lawful to shed the blood of a Muslim except for one of three sins. What was the first one? A married person committed fornication. So that's basically in support of what I just mentioned. If a married man or a woman commits fornication, and there were enough witnesses, which is at least four, to testify that this indeed happened or took place, it's a death sentence. then it is a death sentence, basically. Mm -hmm. Bill, how, how can we deal with teachings like this in a society outside of an Islamic state? In other words, Muslims would like to implement Sharia law in every country they go to. Let's say they are living in a country like the United States, and they wanted to implement Sharia law, and they wanted to kill one of their own. How can we, you know, deal with that? We first, and this is the reason this program is so important, we must, those outside of Islam, must understand the true nature of Sharia law. It is said that it is sacred law, but here we see it is a law of great cruelty that we must understand the true nature of Sharia. It's not just family law that's custom. There's brutality here. Now, Bill, I want to emphasize one point. Uh, people might look at this and say, well, that's talking about Muslim man and Muslim woman. If a non-Muslim man or a non-Muslim woman under Sharia law caught doing the same crime, the punishment still applies. Well, this is the thing about Sharia. Sharia is supposed to rule everyone, Muslim and non-Muslim. 
Well, Bill, as I expected, uh, we are not going to be able to cover everything we had hoped for today, simply because the topic is just a huge. huge topic. Uh, we cannot do it justice by just summarizing it in one episode. So um, my hope that you can join me again in a oh, follow-up yes. show where we can continue along the lines of discussing some of the tenets and uh, elements of Sharia law. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as you have heard, Sharia law so far uh, does not sound like a law that you would want to implement in your society or in your country. Uh, however, uh, we were unable to cover everything for you. In a, cover, uh, a follow-up show, we are going to continue our discussion. Until then, uh, I invite you again to go to our website that is shown on the screen right now and send us your emails, your comments, and your suggestions. Uh, till our next show, have a mega-blessed day.